Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Giles Christopher, the food and drink and hospitality photographer. Giles and I met many years ago through his wife and business partner, Abby. We were both members of Athena, the Women's Network, and a lot of people had told us that we should meet as we were both working with food and drink businesses. Since then, Giles, Abby and I have worked on a lot of jobs together and we've also spent a lot of time socially chatting about business, dog walking, sometimes kayaking or even paddleboarding with the dogs. He got some great advice from his dad about offering to do things nobody else likes to do at work and making himself a valuable team member and he soon found that he had multiple job offers. He's run his own business for over 20 years and we talk about how basic business skills should be part of the curriculum for everyone nowadays. He shares about the prep that goes into shoots and how technology has changed the job so much and how much time photographers spend now in post-production. Giles loves tech and is always pushing himself to learn new ways of doing things or master new equipment. He also talks about keeping up with and ahead of it if you can. A really interesting insight into all that food and drink photography involves and some great tips for podcasts and business blogs to watch out for. I'm really pleased that we managed to book Giles for a chat in this last episode of Series 3. Let me introduce you to Giles Christopher. Can you describe, how do you describe your job to other people? Um, how do I describe my job? I'm a food photographer, product photographer, drinks photographer. Basically, I'm a food photographer to the food and drink industry. Um, that's how I describe my job to other people. And you know, we're working sort of business to business. And th- I mean, that's how, that's how I describe my job. To my business. So yeah, food and, f- food and drink photographer to the food and drink industry. Brilliant. Okay. What do you, how do other people that you know what do they think you spend your day doing? Oh, that's that's another story, yeah, isn't it? Always um, with the food industry, my, particularly think, so. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. I think I think my friends and family think I get up in the morning, I pick my camera up, decide where I'm going to go for the day, going to have a nice lunch while it's there on the table. I'll be taking some photographs of it, and then hopefully I'll get paid for it. That's what they think. I think I, like they think I do. Oh, that's um, a bit like a bit like a blogger or an influencer. My brother and my mother think I'm a dog photographer <laughs> which is totally random out there only because I take pictures of my dog and they always say oh, I think their friends say to them have you seen Giles's pictures of his dog they're fantastic <laughs> but it's not obviously not what I earn money from no. <laughs> so I do yeah and, and, I, and I, I just generally think that um yeah they think I'm a dog photographer uh, and I just go out for lunch and photograph stuff um Fair and enough. that's it yep and just, then occasionally and just get to turn up on the day. She does get it. Yeah, that's what I do. It's a lovely life. I, I just, and my camera goes in a rucksack. I don't know why I need to get the tri- uh, drive everywhere because, you know, they obviously don't realise I have to have carry 200 kilos of gear around with me. Is that what it is? And, 200 uh, kilos, golly. It can be, yeah. yeah. If we're doing food and interior shoot yep. with, you know, if we're doing interiors for a hotel and food, it's obviously all the kit. Yep. 
um, and backups of things, and you always take more than you need. Yeah, um, fair enough. But yeah, that's the real. That's the, and then you have to park and drag it over curbs. So by the time you actually get to the location, sometimes your arms feel like they're down by your knees, and you you worked up a sweat, and it's not even seven o'clock in the morning. In the morning. Exactly, but I, I do, you know, that, that's the real, the reality of it. But, you know, I think I, they genuinely think I put a camera in a rucksack and get on a train and decide where I'm going to go when I'm on the train. I think that's what they do. It's amazing, um, isn't it? Because, I mean, the reality yeah. of, of doing a shoot, of, of winning the job, and, you know, it's probably three days' work before you even get your camera out. Oh, definitely. I mean, weeks. I mean, it's weeks. When Abby, Abby, my partner who runs the business with me, she's there weeks to the schmoozing the client get you know making sure they're happy everything's set so where we're going to even down to where we're going to park yeah and showing them examples of things and and making sure that what they've just told you is really what they mean and yeah exactly and you know trying not to trying to sort of negate any kind of extra things that come in like can you shoot for this or another department you know gets you know gets in on the job and says oh, we need some shots for our campaign. So shoots can expand. So you have to take most of the equipment with you that you think you're going to need. And if you know the client, you kind of it actually gets smaller, the kit, as you go along. Yeah, because you know, you know how it's going to go. Yeah. Exactly. But, we, I mean, we did a new hotel client recently, and it's, um, yeah, we have to take everything with us because you just don't know what's going to be thrown no. at you. And quite often, and it's quite a flattering thing sometimes because you turn up, you do the first couple of shots, and they love them, and then they get excited, and then they start thinking of other things they can do. And it's almost like they can't think of other shoots in the future. But while you're here, can you do this? And while you're here, can you do that? And if there's time, and that's where Abby has to sort of rein them in and almost, you know, manage the shoot, you know. Well, really the other thing is, too, there's a, I mean, because everything's digital now, people think that makes it easy just to make little changes and things. But, I mean, if you've oh, yeah. done a day's shoot, you probably have a day's post-production to do, won't you? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yes. I, I, I didn't used to be that way. I, would, I said, no. I said the other day, it's. I think nowadays every day shoot is a day's post production or close to it. I mean, it's a slow day's post production with the coffee and the radio and going nipping out to get croissants. But generally, it's a whole day shoot. Yeah. But I, a, whole, a whole day's post production mm. rather, and it's and and I do, I, you know, it's. I think nowadays it's being compared with a lot of computer graphics. Photography is being compared with a lot of computer graphics. So people want this absolutely perfect image. And then when you present them a perfect image, they then go, well, it's quite perfect. I mean, almost a bit more rough. So you, yeah. there's a process that goes back and forward sometimes just to get the right image. But again, it's clients that we've, you've worked with for many years. And you kind of know it. You go in and do it. And the trick there is not to be too complacent yeah, to keep you, coming up you with know new all ideas their your ways yeah. and the things they like and the things they don't like and who likes definitely. cutlery and extra things and who just wants the plate. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, it, you do. But, um, and I think the, the other hard thing nowadays is, is all the different formats as well. As a photographer, you know, you go on shoots and in their mind, the client sees the photograph, but you know, when you're there, they go, Oh, we need it for stories. We need it for our banner, for our website. We need it for this. So you're shooting so many different formats. Yep. So one shot can then be an hour. And they go, how can it take an hour to shoot a bite of food? And you go, because we have to remake some of the dishes. We have to remake the cocktails. We have to remake the beer, whatever. But yep. you know, there's various reasons you have to keep remaking stuff because you're then going to another format, which sometimes means turning the whole set round to get a portrait shot. Uh, the lighting might need to change a little bit because that's where they want to put their text. And so, you know, lots of it just expands and expands and expands. So that's why generally I think most professional food photographers probably have between six eight ten dishes a day is what their sort of remit yeah. that's what they work to no i think that's, 10 big 10 I think being the ones really pushing it too isn't it yeah. yeah i think 
clients you work with regularly and you know how it works and you, they almost let us do it, then you can get, then you're up at the tens. But if you're down at the advertising level, you're probably looking for four, six. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's. But everything has to be perfect. So, you know, that, that's, that's the. And, that's and the, I mean, compared that. with when you started, when you would have been using film, were you developing yourself? Were you taking it to be developed? Or how was it? No, I haven't developed myself. I haven't developed myself since I was at home with my parents. Ah. Yeah, you know, like threatened to be thrown out because my the bath went all yellow because I started developing on my own stuff. No, I don't do that. It's, life's too short to develop your own photographs. Yeah, I mean sometimes uh, people have like, to. Could, it depends where they are. But I mean, you've always been near London and things, so you're able to. Yeah, you were able I to. Think gen- but I mean, now I you have to know so much about tech, yeah. don't you? I think amateurs, keen amateurs, will develop their own stuff, and there always has been that following. And, and the art, art and fine art photographers, I think, general professionals have always gone to labs. Mm. Um, even back in my film days, it was even as an assistant. You know, my the job was at the end of the day, you can leave early, Giles, and take these three bags of film, and then drive into London and get them developed. Yes. <laughs> um, and then you sit there but it, it was actually quite a nice discipline then and the early days of what we did you know Abby and I used to go and do the shoots then we'd stop at somewhere like Genesis in Fulham which was a very a pro lab and it was great you'd finish at five you'd go to Genesis you'd put your film in they did a two or three hour turnaround which gave you enough time to go to the pub next door have a nice dinner have a bite to you know, chill out yeah, a bite to eat. yeah and then, it was a and then go way, back and then it? go back You'd put your stuff on the light box there. You'd circle a few shots that you preferred, maybe get some just test prints. Um, and then the following day, a bike would go to the client with a contact sheet. Um, and that's how, And then it became, can you put them on a CD? So the contact sheets would go on a CD. And then obviously over the years, it's all more digital. It's amazing, um, isn't it? It's amazing days, how it's it was, changed. It was just one, yeah, those days it was just one roll of film a day or two or three rolls of film a day, probably 70, 80 photographs maximum. And now it's hundreds. yeah. Because, you know, you have to do lots of stacking, lots of exposure bits, because Photoshop has to do so much of the work now. And, you know, you used to be really down to the discipline of the photographer. And, yep. You know, and, and you do Polaroids on the day, and the client would stand next to you with a Polaroid and say, I think we'll move this left a bit, we'll change the colour on this. And they're never, never really that colour-accurate photographs, no. but it would give you everybody a great idea on of how... what it was going to look like, how, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, no more. So, so, yeah, so the computers have made everything very uh, – there's so many different variations you can go now with, with on the shoot day, you know. Yeah. And, and as I say, people coming up with new ideas all the time as you're there. Yeah. Which, it again, is very, as I said, it's flattering. but different yeah. way of doing, isn't it? Yeah. When did you first know what you wanted to do? I, my 13th birthday, I think, I got a I – got a, my dad was a keen amateur photographer. And he bought me a camera for my 13th, 13th birthday. And I absolutely loved it. I photographed everything. I mean, to the point where he actually took it off me because it was costing him too much in rolls of film. And he, he would say, let's get them developed next month because I was giving him like six, seven rolls of film a week. And, because, you know, he was, <laughs> and I wasn't working. So Dad said he'd pay for the developing, which I think he regretted saying. Yeah. I would say that's where my first love of photography came. Uh, and what I was were you always photographing then? Just things that were in oh, the anything. house, rounds about? Yeah, yeah it was... It was very mundane stuff so as cats, flowers, anything, mm. yeah, anything in the house, friends' cars. I had a couple of friends that, fathers that had um, sports cars and I'd love, I'd go and photograph them. I'm not like, you know, properly just testing mm. things out and see what I like. And then that sort of developed into a sort of a bit more of a hobby, you know, full-time hobby, I would say. Mm-hmm. I, I, the weekends I would have friends eventually saying, I mean, I, again, one of my friends became a 
Formula 3000 racing driver. Mm -hmm. And when I was about 16, he took me out to every week. I used to go to the racing track, Thruxton and all these different racing tracks and photograph him doing his racing, which I loved. And I knew then it wasn't really the sort of photography I wanted to get into. And I didn't really know. And I was sort of flying in the wind for many years. And then, yeah, and I had this love of art. I loved anything to do with that, particularly sort of um, airbrush art. I was in, I used to airbrush everything. And I never found a way of sort of combining the two, but I got lucky enough to go off to art college after school. So photography was a hobby up until art college. And then Mm. I went to Watford Art College and studied graphic design. Mm. Uh, I did a foundation course in fine art. Um, so it was a good sort of grounding there. It allowed me to put my photographs and my art together, which I absolutely loved. Yep. And that's Love where it. I really sort of really wanted to sort of real, realise that my, my, my career was in photography. And it was my, 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 um, sort of, I would say my qualifications at college, it was left leaving college with distinctions in photography in all kind of levels. Whereas art was kind of, I'm getting A's and B's and hmm. C's, whereas photography all across good. the board was like... <laughs> So yeah, so I, I just that, that's that's what I love doing. But yeah, I think I think yeah, the early days of yeah, thirteenth was when I knew what I wanted to do, and then you know various, you know, various sort of sectors of photography I didn't didn't really know existed, which I do now. So maybe I would have followed a different career. I don't know. What kind of things do you think? I I've, I've always I was a frustrated architect, and when I left art college, I went off to an architect college, thinking I wanted to become an architect. Um, because again, it was just visualization. Mm. It's been technical drawing, graphic design, photography. I thought architecture would be the answer, so I went off to to a, a sort of a preliminary building college, yep. to, where you, you have to do you have to do three or four years there before you can go to do the seven year architecture course. And I think with, with, with the first month, we were learning about stresses and strains on concretes and rise and falls of plumbing and, and gravity. Maybe and this thought, isn't what I want. Actually, maybe. Yeah. When do I get to draw a house? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, that's not going to be for at least five or six years. <laughs> okay. Um, so maybe, so I, ca- I came out of that pretty quickly. Um, and then, yeah, I went, to, went back to do a foundation and fine art. Um, and then sort of went into, you know, the rest of my career as in the film industry, really. as a. And you went into um, video, uh, moving film first, didn't you? Yeah, because, I mean, the, at school, I've always, going back a little bit to the, to the, to the, to the photography where I started, at mm. school I found with careers talks, I always wanted to, I mean, my dream was to be a wildlife cameraman. That was what I mm-hmm. really wanted to do because... I used to love snuggling up on Sunday evenings as a kid with Dad, watching World of Outers with David Attenborough, yeah. one of my heroes. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was one of those moments I just thought, this is what I want to do. I love photography, I love animals. That's where I wanted to go. But at career, I mean, careers at school, careers talks at school squashed that. So I'm mean, going back a bit here, but that's what they squashed. Because when I said I wanted to build a wildlife camera, and I think they got various sheets of paper went, no, it's not on the list here. Have you thought about being a policeman? <laughs> we don't know Have one. you thought about being a policeman because yes. you're tall, because you're tall and you're quite athletic? It was like, no, I want to be a wildlife cameraman. So I, a very early days, and I don't know if career, I hope in careers talks have changed at school. I hear for some people it doesn't, but, you know, I, I couldn't really follow that that direction. So I think that's where, you know, I, I had to do something with photography. And that that's kind of where it went, you know, went on from there. Um, and then, yeah, into the, film industry as you know and then eventually out on your own 
doing food and drink when how long ago how many yeah well i mean the food i did the food film industry for 50 well 18 years i started as a camera right. assistant because i left college and as yeah. I, I wanted to i wanted to get into anything with cameras and it just so happened that my father being a producer didn't get me a job but he opened a door and said there's hmm. a film i know of that are looking for a camera or also training. could you want tell to you about stuff and back going back exactly. to careers isn't it you need somebody that knows what the job options are yeah, so there was someone I was introduced to, um, a lovely cameraman called Alan Hume, and who took me on as a camera trainee. But ironically, at the same time, I was the feature film industry was seeing a real surge in publicity photographers. Right. And I sent loads of CVs. And these are the days when you used to send CVs out to people, and you did used to get replies. I remember one month I had a reply from this film as a camera trainee. I had a reply from two of the stills photographers I'd sent stuff off to be an assistant. And they all came back saying, you'd love you to come and see us and love you to start as soon as possible. Oh. I was like, what do I do? So I had to, it was lovely. I had a real booming sort of 70, probably 18, 19, 20 year old, just having the choice of jobs. And I would do work as an advertising stills assistant. I got working on a feature film as a publicity stills assistant and also as a camera trainee. So I was kind of working across three genres, but they were all cameras. The only difference was one was one frame a second, the others are 25 frames a second. That's brilliant. I mean, that's invaluable experience too, because then you can really pick what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And then I got such a love for it. I did used to literally go on to jobs free of charge, just purely just to get the experience. Better than sitting at home moping, as my parents used to say, just go out and do something. So I'd go out and, uh, you know, just find people that, you know, create jobs for myself, you know, try and be indispensable. That's what I taught my son to be as well now. Yeah. You know, just go out. find Make yourself I always say, useful. Find, yeah. yeah, my dad used to say to me, just go on to, a job, go on to a job, find out jobs that people don't want to do and do those well because they know to keep you on because you'll become one of these indispensable people that will just keep working. Very good advice, actually. Yeah. That is, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good, good, good thing. He always used to say to me as well, he always used to say to me, there's money in muck as well. I never really understood that. And I thought that was just being a dustman. No, or, or but that doesn't, that, that means the same sort no. of thing, doesn't it? Doing all the stuff yeah. that other folk don't want you to do will always make exactly. you money because exactly. they'll pay to get it done. Exactly. Good. And I think, I think that's a, that's a great thing for you to learn. You should have had a career in careers. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh. Um, what do you think the first impression that you give people of yourself is? Or what first impression do you hope you give people? There's a devilishly panic look, look on your face. Devilishly good looking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, I like to think people, I, I, I've always, again, again, from my parents and my mentors, always go in smart. I always try mm-hmm. and, not over the top, but I always go clean cut. So people give you the clean an impression that, and also that I say that, but then you kind of want to, as a photographer, you have to be quite a chameleon. Mm-hmm. So wherever you're going, you do you have, have to, to fit in with wherever you to, are. You do, you do. So if you're working in a smart hotel, don't go in jeans and t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, I always go in a shirt. I don't want to wear a jacket, but I wear a jacket and that'll come off straight away as soon as I get there. But yeah. you know, it's just having that because blending you know, in, not hotels, standing you, out. Yeah, yeah. but. Well, behind the scenes, and I think you when you when you work as I say in those sort of sectors, you do see people. You see the concierge staff coming in in the morning in their tracksuit trousers, squirreling around the back door with their bike. Yeah. Ten minutes later, you see them there in their beautiful grey grey jackets and all smart, suited and booted. Totally and that's the if that's the image that they want to give across to their customers, then I've kind of got to fit in there yeah. as well. I heard so a you've brilliant got to, you've story got... once about a photographer doing work in a factory inside a factory, and he insisted on wearing some kind of glove when he was working and 
at the end of the day, his glove was missing. And they didn't know where it had gone. And they had to scrap a huge amount of production because they couldn't be sure that that leather glove or whatever it was. And I was just thinking, really? No, you know, like hair netted up to the eyeballs and everything else. And then he insisted on wearing this glove that he wears to shoot and lost his glove, which is priceless, isn't it? You can just imagine, (laughs) can't you? When they realised at that point. No, I don't wear... I don't wear gloves, not for those sort of shoots anyway. No, no. Some shoots we have to wear gloves, but mm. but the um, but I think I think uh, yeah, it's just having the impression that is this is someone that you, I like. To, before we get there, I like to have some that someone can trust. So you know, there will be photographs, as I said before, going back and forwards. So I like going into a job where they know they can trust you, and you look kind of the part you fit in, as you say. And you've looked um, like you've thought uh, about it too. I mean, all of that work exactly. just shows that you're doing the prep. You're trying to. Trying to get and ask them questions what they want. I, I always think questions. I know that's sort of impression, but I think again, I've always been taught throughout my career by various men, people that mentored me that people love to be asked questions. So I think you to ask questions before you go, they kind of know that you're in their space, and I think that's that's quite important. That's quite important, you know, to to give them the confidence. And, and yeah, that's the, that's that, that's what I that's what I try to get across. Anyway, <laughs> uh, what do you think makes you different as a food photographer? What what what's different about your approach or about the sort of work you do or what do you think sets you apart? I think there's a, there's a lot of photographers right across the board that try and copy other people's work, and that stems from no, maybe not having the imagination or they're just copying. They're just doing YouTube videos which aren't always correct. That's what I know. I know a lot of pro photographers that I speak to said. Oh, I can't believe you, people are quoting me these videos on YouTube, and they're not—they're not right. And there is so much. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot that's right. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot that's wrong. Mm. And the people are learning bad mistakes, and in learning bad mistakes, people are copying. And and one thing I've always tried to do is not be too influenced by other photographers. Yeah. Try to sort of sail my set my own sail and go my own way. Yep. Sometimes that comes a bit unstuck because they think I'm just a little bit out there. Um, but I've over the years I've reined that in. Mm. Um, but I, I tend I, I think. Trust I love technology. Yeah. yeah, I love technology. I love doing anything that is going to set us apart that gives us the create and gives us that creative edge with with something that we can wow people with. That's what I, I try and do. That's what sets it apart. So I'm always coming up with new ideas. Sometimes the clients can't quite take on the ideas and I need to maybe go back More away and think, think back off and think about it before I get too excited and start free flow and firing all these ideas at them. So I think it's coming up with new ideas I love to do. I'm always at the cutting edge of technical technology yeah, technological yeah. um you know camera equipment. And uh, and uh, that's what sets us apart really. Yep. I think I like to think that's what sets us apart anyway. No, I think I think that's right. And I think too although you sometimes have to rein it back in, people also like to be pushed. You know, they don't want you to give them what everybody else is giving other people they they want you to push them a bit so if you push them a bit it's yeah. like i don't know i quite often watch grand designs and when you see the architects brief people they go way beyond like way beyond the budget way beyond people's comfort zone and things so that when they pull them back they still get something better than what they initially yes. envisaged and Definitely. i think often that's the same sort of thing isn't it that people yeah. don't always know what they want or what could make it different or set it apart or and, and, and i and i do think with photography i don't i don't like to use the phrase it's dying because that's uh, you know mm. very negative but i think it's evolving and there's a lot of 
influences coming from different directions of photography. There's CGI, yep. there were computer constructed backgrounds and stuff. There's extreme Photoshop, which makes things look kind of unrealistic, but then for some reason that might be what they want. Um, there's so many things chipping away at what is the sort of the original idea of photography. And I think people have to adapt. So, yep. you know, technology means you can adapt it to another level. I'm at the, I mean, at the moment I'm currently researching into virtual backgrounds for, because I've got, because I've over the years got so many shots of restaurants, our restaurants are clients. Yes. So I can recreate stuff. I can actually, and it's not just cutting things out. It's no. actually, you know, we've invested in this massive LED TV yes. um, for our studio and we can basically reconstruct most backgrounds against this which is which is opens up a whole new world of things it's amazing isn't um, it yeah yeah and i and that inspired me because I, I supplied a load of photographs for a very big um stage in Uxbridge. they would do these. i remember you talking about that yeah. where you do this and sort of 360 yeah exactly and it's massive it's a probably a 200 foot diameter set and this i mean there's television programs like the mandalorian and stuff where they're all shot against these virtual backgrounds and this is so clever this stuff it's you know, the lenses talk to the background so if you track the camera in the background it adjusts accordingly so, so it's, it's not very, like a zoom screen tight. where you move and your elbow disappears yeah. out of the shot no exactly and it's not like the days of old back projection where you see james bond's in a car and the background's doing this and <laughs> he's and, doing you're this. moving around yeah and, yeah he's doing that moving it's, yeah. it's, it's, well, it's similar principle but they've taken it to another level so everything works in conjunction with the lens and the camera. So if the cameraman suddenly moves the camera left, the background will move accordingly. Or if you, if you move in, the background goes out of focus. Now, I saw that. They're using, they're using some of my photographs in their showcase, and it's, um, it's quite exhilarating to see a picture that large. And I'd love to be able to offer that to our clients, but that's a £30,000-plus-a-day commitment setup. <laughs> yes. Yeah, to, to have that. Clients are all going to say no to that. So I thought, why can I, again, this is what I'm saying, rein it back. Okay, I'm going to buy the best quality LED TV, have it mounted in the studio on a special stand, and we'll do something similar. We can recreate stuff. Now, most of the time it can be cut out and put in these backgrounds, but with glassware and cocktails, it's become invaluable because obviously you're seeing through glasses. You're seeing through the lip of the glass, the background. So to have a really good background there. Yeah. To take out in Photoshop. Yeah, to have the real background there is fantastic. It's a damn sight easier too than having to store thousands and thousands of backgrounds, isn't it? Exactly. And we're doing a shoot recently for a rum client and we're putting in in palm shadows and we're moving them in to where the text, so we knew where the text was and we're actually moving them around in the photographs. That's brilliant. Um, So that's, that's kind of what we're doing now which I love I mean in the early days of technology we were doing 360 degree panoramic photography 20 years ago yeah that's incredible and we were showing people they couldn't believe what they were seeing never took off for us because the internet we were still on dial up in those days and (laughs) the internet wasn't three or four minutes to download and then when they could download it it wouldn't work because they didn't have the right plug-in obviously that's totally different now and that's evolved into you know a whole new genre of photography now 360 stuff I think one of the things uh, too that has come out of the last few years when people couldn't all come to shoots either because they couldn't travel or because you couldn't have them depending on different lockdown rules and things is how much easier it has got to you know used to if a client couldn't be at a shoot you would take the image you'd send it then you'd be hoping that they would look at it in the next hour so you could stop and go on with the next shot and that kind of thing but now that they can be sort of live streamed in so they can see what's happening and I mean things like that have improved a lot too which also means you don't need to be within a few miles of the photographer you're working with you know it yeah it makes it sometimes it's great the song <laughs> now the remote the remote shooting something we've taken on board as well and mm. adopted that quite in early days and and 
that is quite an interesting way of working. I still think it, the discipline needs to come around because when you're, we've done various shoots like that. It works really well till about 11 o'clock in the morning. Then people disappear off And then off they go off and do other, other things. Uh-huh. And you go, we're waiting for a reply. And, and then you're sitting there with probably a third, fourth cup of coffee yep. going, they haven't got back to us. Do we move on? Do we? No. We decide to move on. And then you get a message. Can you move the coffee slightly to the left? Or can you? Mm. No, we've moved on now. You know? So I think there needs, there needs to be discipline both ends there. And I think the clients, they need to designate someone to be watching that screen all day long. Yeah, yeah. just remote. as if they're there at the shoot. Yeah, you know, exactly. exactly. It, it really does need it, to be that, doesn't it? I know you almost need a buzzer. Bzzz. <laughs> Next but, you know, they, job. But now that... But we've just updated our software and now it's like the whole proofing system is brilliant because I can see when they star it. If they like an image, they can star it, then puts that in a separate folder on my computer, um, which is brilliant, you know, and, 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 it, and it works so much more. It works much more seamlessly than it did yeah. even through so a lot of days. those things have have improved because we've had to, which is a good thing, isn't it? It's a positive thing. Yeah, and I think that's the one of the good things that's come out of the whole lockdown sort of era is mm. that we we've we've adapted this remote learning and using yeah. technology and it's 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 and the I technology think, has been great. improved by the people that sell it as well to cope with what we were all trying to do with it which is great there is but i'm mean, like again being the technology technique technology nerd that i am it's um what i'm reading there's so much technology in the pipeline that's going to make it even better but there's such a chip shortage at the moment yes that they can't actually bring a lot of it to the market so exactly. i'm hoping that we're still going to be in demanding this when all this amazing stuff that comes out in a couple of years time i'm out two days this coming week with overseas clients doing live in-store stuff so that they can physically see what's happening inside stores and things which is brilliant and that's something yeah. that came about from lockdown and has stopped them needing to fly here and it makes it much more cost effective and it means that before they actually come to pitch something we can look look in and I mean I used to take loads of images in stores and things that they could see but somehow if they're with you doing it live it's much clearer to them what they're seeing and they can go wait a minute what was that and you know or they see something that you would never have shown them because it's nothing to do with what you're doing but it sparks yeah. something else for them. So it, it's exciting that all these things have come on so much during during that time. Definitely, definitely. But I'm even, I even heard of, well, I got to know a colleague of ours that's doing virtual portraits via the internet. Really? So basically, like, you know, you're doing a video conference and she, I guess how, I actually need to look in how she does it. But I think she poses you while you're on your camera and then gets you to move something, lighting in, move this, and then takes a snapshot of the screen and that's your virtual portrait. Yeah, and that oh, was something amazing. she's obviously had to do during lockdown to adapt, but then has continued going. And it's and useful because it, it saves you a couple of hours travelling to and from somewhere, either definitely. you or the client, you know. But the adaption in the film, I mean, the film, the food, in the food and drink industry, I, I mean, our clients, what some of our clients have done is incredible. Yeah. You know, how they've managed, they've had these big distribution systems that have all fallen flat because of sort of lockdown, they couldn't do this. And then they have had to sort of take everything back to bare basics. And then they've launched these amazing products where they're doing home cooking kits. And, you know, so many people are doing it, but there's very few doing it And really also well. the other thing that happened because of that is that logistics cost of getting home cooking kits to people came down, which also made it much more affordable for consumers to use them. Definitely. And I think, you know, Definitely. we forget because we're in and around London and we're spoiled by the amount of 
options there are and all the other things. But I have a, a client who makes West Indian cooking kit boxes and was doing that, started that during lockdown. And there are people in the UK who never get access to that food, who were so excited to be able to exactly. do authentic food like that at home. It's it's brilliant. No, who would have ever thought a few years ago, food by post? And I mean, the, I mean, it was pioneered by the sort of the, the, the Hello Freshers and mm. people like that were doing it kind of prior to lockdown and everybody was a bit sceptical about it. And then, I mean, those people must have done so well. Yeah. And even, I mean, even our toilet rolls have come by post now. I know. You know so much company. stuff does, doesn't think, it? Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's and, and you sign, I mean, it's all subscription. So it's great for companies because yes. now they're getting a subscription, subscription model. And they and can anticipate and volumes and stuff yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think it's. I think again, it's another good thing that's come out of all of this. And where people, where if people were scared about doing online banking and online shopping and online deliveries before, now it's like no. Oh, and we, we just went cashless new... overnight, which is incredible too, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. I can't remember the last time I went to a cash point. <laughs> I know. I, I, it's, yeah. it's weird when you have it's having to put your pin number in, all, all those yeah. kind of things. You're like, oh, I yeah. hope I remember it. Yeah, I know. It's amazing how much it has changed. And I think the important thing is to do that reset. We're doing a lot of work just now with customers saying, okay, that may be what you did three years ago, how much money you took, how you did it. But then really, let's go to the end of 2021 and take that as your starting point. And say now, where do you want to go now? What have you, you know, what of the new things you've had to do? Do you want to keep? What do you want to change, get rid of? What do you want your business to do for you? And I think that's an important thing because, I mean, they kept saying to us, new normal, new normal. And I think we didn't really know in the beginning how long all this would go on for. So you couldn't contemplate that. But there are a lot of things that you can't put the genie back in the bottle for now. But it is about picking out the best of it and deciding what you want and moving forward, isn't it? But do you find with your clients, everybody's a little bit more um, focused now in, okay, we're going to do mail order, we're going to do post. or we. Whereas before it was a little bit like we're going to try and get into a super, or is it, I Talking to food people, they always say the dream is to get into the supermarket. And it's a little bit like careful what you, I know you've said to me in the past, careful what you wish for, yep. because they're not necessarily the best client. Um, or just it's not guess, even that but it's just they work on such big volumes and things that unless I mean, yeah, you yeah, are so. a big volume person you know if you're doing something artisan it would be a nightmare to try always to produce mm. those kind of volumes at the kind of price points they want yes, that's and then beautiful. if you're a small producer I mean when I had the chocolate brownie business we were delivering into retailers and you're doing it on timed deliveries and because you're a small person small producer they would ask you to deliver overnight when they've got fewer staff so that they could just take all the small annoying deliveries at that point, which I completely get, but it doubled your distribution costs and things. Do you know? And I mean, yeah. a lot of that's better now. They have consolidators. They're much more geared up to working with challenger brands and smaller brands and things than they were 17 years ago when I did that. Yeah. But you know, so a lot of that is different, but it is different. But yeah, definitely direct to consumer stuff and and all those subscriptions and things, which are a brilliant way. If you're a new producer, it's such a good way to get people on board with your stuff and build that knowledge base first. Or, you know, if yes. a lot of my work is with people from overseas. So if you're bringing something new into the market, a new brand into our market, even if you can do it that way, if you can do it by subscriptions and things and send people different versions of it and, 
you know, let them feel like they're there first and, and, you know, yes. kind of build your fan base, then it will make it much easier. And then you can go to retailers with numbers and things too. But I also think a lot of people who used to spend every Saturday morning going around stores think, I don't want to be doing that on a Saturday morning. No. And so no. now they're prepared to do stuff. And I mean, I know I'll look online to see if I can get something with my online shop, which comes because I don't have a car. So I would get an online shop anyway, if I need a big amount of stuff. But if there's something that I need this week, I did, a, I sat in on a Ghanaian cookery demonstration that the Guild of Food Writers, a girl called Patty Slowly had done, and it was brilliant. And I wanted to try a couple of the recipes. And one of the things that she mentioned was onion powder, which wasn't something I had. And I looked on my main shopping, just in case I had, missed something you know that was available and it wasn't googled it got three options right away did it did the recipe last night liked it wished i'd bought more onion powder ordered it last night about seven o'clock it was delivered this morning already Amazing. you know i mean it is it's unbelievable now and i think a lot of people are saying about the ultra fast convenience you know all the gorillas and jiffies and those kind of people that it's, you know, none of them are making money. It, it's taking a lot of money, but they will change what people expect to happen. You will yep. expect to be able to get something within 15 minutes food-wise. Yeah. And, and that will push the whole industry to have to change that in the same way that Uber changed how cabs ran and particularly how small local cab, cab firms ran and and what they were expected to do and things. And so I think it's always, you've got to always keep moving. And food is a bit like fashion because you can change what's in things without having to completely retool a factory in a way that new television technology would mean a completely retooled factory or a car plant and things. It evolves far faster. We can respond quicker to things, but you have to be watching those things and responding to them or you can get left behind. Yeah, it, totally. And, and, and it's just, as I say, the people adapting is just how it's over the last year or two. The, the adaption, people, how people have adapted their businesses is is phenomenal, really. It is. It's, it's, Out of interest, is 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 um copy is is there still copyrights on food recipes? Or is that is there? There is, okay. but it's a very difficult. It's always been a difficult thing to prove because somebody yeah. can yeah. change one ingredient cooking time i mean there are a lot of plagiarism claims about recipes and things and there are some big very public cases of that going on at the moment you know where people contest that that person took their recipes and things but it it is very difficult to prove and it's not really something that you can count on and i mean i i worked as a product developer more than 30 years ago and i knew at that time i was doing poultry product development I could tell when I tasted things, what thickeners and things people were using. It it wouldn't take me long to be able to work out exactly which ingredients were in something. And sometimes we would be asked, you know, somebody would be losing their contract with a manufacturer and that they would want you to make the thing, but they can't give you that person's recipe because that, you know, those factory recipes are belong to the manufacturer. And, but they would give you the product and I could make a call to somebody and say, in this thing, the caramel, there it says on the label, there's caramel colour in it. 
but it's this kind of color and it's not like that. And it's not like that. And they would say it will have been made by this company, you know, so it doesn't take you long to undo a, a recipe. And I mean, as can be seen by Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all these people with, you know, secret formula, hardly anyone knows it, but all the own label brands and things come so close to it. Yeah, often yeah no i asked that question only because so many similar products in the like again, again the last couple of years so many similar products have appeared and i just wondered if you know that i mean it always used to be the case you couldn't copyright a recipe and i wonder if that no, would change well, you I still, guess can't. still the same yeah. still can't yeah. and i mean yeah. the thing is though you know it's like anything if you've got the good ideas you'll always have the next good idea and the next one if somebody copies you it is really annoying but yeah they're probably not going to have another good idea that quickly. So they won't do as well out of it. So you've just got to suck yeah. it up and move on, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, what, who have been role models for you? Who do you think have shown you the way or shown you how not to do things? You can go either way. If, if it's how not to, you can't name them. I think values <laughs> in life. I mean, again, I, I, go, I go back to probably David Attenborough, a big influence yep. in my life. You know, it was someone that has always been able to adapt his sort of kindness, um, his knowledge. Mm. And having, you know, it's always been a sort of, you know, a, a, a constant in my life. I've just watched mm. everything he does. And I know it's a little, you know, lots of people say I love David Attenborough. But, yeah. you know, right from early days when he's had up with my dad, watched the world about us to today, you know, mm. with his how he's evolved into this sort of, I mean, I don't know if you read his book, Life on Air. No. Oh, fantastic book. Yeah. Oh, I mean, early days, totally politically incorrect. You know, mm. he was basically going out with his cameraman to far-flung places and clubbing animals on the head, put them in a cage and bringing them back to the BBC studios, and then trying to find a home for them afterwards. I mean, he, that man's adapted because, I mean, he I mean, I think he's horrified yeah. of what he used to do in those days. And seen so much in a lifetime. So I would say, and here he is inspiring a whole yeah. different generation exactly. of people. Exactly, and that's to what I made. He's, he's yeah. timeless and ages. It's incredible. So I'd say, as a celebrity role model, he's that. I mean, there are people in my life that have shaped me. And at very early days, I had a, a photographer I used to work with called David James, who was a feature film publicity photographer. Um, quite hard on me. Um, gave me some really mundane jobs to do when I was starting out, like go and wash my car. My wheels need shining up. And you're going to get my wife a birthday present, you know, those sort of things that you think you do because you just want to be in with this chap. Mm. Um, and I think one of those, I did that for months and I thought, I actually watched a poem where I thought, I'm really bored of this. Yeah. Um, and then he started giving me jobs to do like, oh, can you go and photograph the second unit on a feature film? Can you do, can you set the studio up at the weekend? I won't be able to get there till lunchtime, but we've got a big celebrity coming in. So real thrown in the deep end stuff. But I guess it, it was the, you know, he was a role model in the fact that he would always give me that little bit more out of my comfort zone things to do and test me all the time. And trust I think as well. Me. I mean, he trusted yeah. you, which is... Exactly. So I would say he was a role thing. model. Um, you know, my, my sort of father's helped me a lot. My father, who I lost a couple of years ago, mm. uh, last year, uh, you know, has always sort of encouraged, I wouldn't say particularly supportive, but encouraged me whatever I wanted to do. Which which I liked, and he, you know, he had belief and, in you. He did, you know. I mean, he really yeah, did, didn't he? And he and he definitely would never definitely, have thought yeah. you couldn't do something, which is good, you know. Yeah, I mean, my, my mother and father both installed in me. They're both in the film industry. Worked incredibly long hours. The point when I was a kid, I was always palmed off to friends' parents. Sometimes the drop of a hat, I'd have to stay the night with them because they weren't going to be back till midnight. So right from an early age, I think they were my role models in the fact that, I, as I said, I'm not necessarily supported my 
you know, encourage what I wanted to do, but they would definitely instill work ethics yeah. in me that you have to work, you have to put the stuff in to get the stuff out, you know, you have to put those hours in. Were they both self-employed too? Both self-employed. Which is a great thing, isn't it? That that wasn't outside their comfort zone when you were then or... Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody in my family has been permanently employed. I think everyone... Um, and I always used to, we all, my dad always used to say the film industry is like being a part of the circus, really, because, you know, you set up in one town and then you take it all down and move to the next town. It's a little bit like that. Um, and my whole life has been very much um, last minute, you know, changes, adapting. And so my parents instilled the work ethics into me. Various cameramen and photographers I work with have sort of pushed push me because yep. um, they obviously saw something. So they pushed me. And I think back to tutors at school role models as well. We had a wonderful photography tutor called Ralph who was just one of those, could never be a professional photographer, but knew everything about photography and is destined to work in a college, yeah. but was absolutely patient, would keep going with me to the dark room and saying, we're going to do this again, we're going to do this again, not quite right, you need to dodge or burn this. And uh, and I realised then uh, those days, being critical, being critical and being a potential to detail was important. So yeah, there's various, yeah. I wouldn't say there's one particular role model, there's various really people in my life that have shaped me. Good, that's a good thing. Too much of what is never enough. What does that phrase apply to in your photography equipment? <laughs> oh, I know you, and that is so spot on. <laughs> but I've got. There's always I'm a to-do gonna... list, a purchase list. Oh, when we moved there? into our, we got a just over a thousand foot square studio. And when I moved in, I thought, oh, we have got so much space. This is amazing. Well, now I'm having to. When clients come around, I'm having to put stuff in the car. We call it the car robe. Yes. So put stuff in the car. And I heard the other to, week you uh, were building a shed, and I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've built, I've built <laughs> that two studio seems now, so vast when you in, first so. got it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think uh, in fact, talking to most food photographers are skip raiders, kleptomaniacs. Anything that's been thrown out, you might be useful for a background <laughs> or a surface. So we've got broken tiles and cupboards. We've got bits of glass. We've got so many backgrounds that, you know. That's so funny, the, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and if, you, if, if, you didn't, if you didn't know what I did as a job and you went to and you went, he's some kind of junk, you know, collector, tinker, or it's just, you couldn't guess a job, I don't think. If you took no. the camera equipment out, I don't think you'd guess what someone did in our studio. But uh, I would say, yeah, um, photography equipment is never enough of. Good. Big props, I guess, is ne- never enough of. And, yeah, I think Abby would probably agree something. with you on the props, wouldn't she? Oh, she loves I think, she loves I think she's prop. trying to compete with me with the gear, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless. Charles going to buy some more gear, I'm going to buy some more props. Yeah. Um, people often talk about stepping outside their comfort zone, and you've, you've talked about how David James that you worked with early days pushed you and did that. What is the thing that when you look back now, you're most surprised that you do because you never would have thought that that would be in your comfort zone? Running a business general. I think we go through that um, when you're a sole trader working in somewhere like the film industry, you go through this arrogance like, oh, I'm in, I'm self-employed and I do this. And I have friends at contracts, with con- uh, contractors with IT firms and stuff. And they go, I'm self-employed and I have a limited company, but they're being employed by the next contract, the next contract. Setting up a business, I realise, is a totally different thing. Yeah. And that's a, that, took, that took both of us out of our comfort zone. Um, it's a lot I think to do, that, isn't there, too? Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're and, recording and think, this on a Sunday and I always think, Please note, Inland Revenue, we never stop. You know, there's no, not a five o'clock cutoff. Or, so when they get funny about a receipt that you put through for having to go out and do something or, you know, you think it doesn't ever stop. It is seven days. There's always something. Yeah. 
So I, I, yeah, I think that's that's the thing. It's, it, it, running a business isn't is isn't what everybody expects it to be. I think it's, no. it's harder. And I think when we first started up, we we belonged to one of the local sort of networking companies, and they offered us some free business advice. And we had a wonderful lady come around. I can't remember her name. And she said, as a business owner, you're probably not going to make a profit to three to four years. You know, very few do. Um, and it's going to be a slow burn, but you'll get there eventually. If you can survive three or four years, you're going to gradually yep. you know, increase. And we we'll nah, we'll do, we'll do it quicker than that. Yeah. Well, three or four years later, when we're sort of looking, going, okay, we've got to arrange another overdraft, then suddenly <laughs> it started to sort of tick up. And 20 years later, here we still are and, and working sort of strength to strength. But you just think that's those early days. You just yeah. you think you know it all and you don't. And, it's, and you're learning all the time. And Abby and I always say, if we could go back and change anything in our life, we wish we'd done business studies at school. Yeah, I think that's. I, I went true. off on my little creative. I went off on my creative tack, and it was like, oh, I'm gonna. I don't want to get involved in anything academic. I just want to be creative and draw and design stuff. But I wish I'd go. You know, could go back and change, change some stuff there, um, and do business studies. And I think everybody needs that sort of business acumen somewhere in there. And I think actually, so. I also think you need it at home too. Do you know? It amazes me yeah. the people that don't know to look at their bills and see if there's a way they can save money on them or you know like the people that have never moved from being with one gas company or one electric company and things so i think there's a lot of life skill stuff that comes into business but would be very useful yeah business studies is always an option isn't it school and careers it's always an option i think it actually should be part of the curriculum it it should be one of the compulsories like english or Yeah. yeah Or even if it is just a lesson called life skills, and, and yeah. you do, and you do have, and maybe there is, maybe I'm not, I've got I, so in touch with my education at the moment, yeah. but I, I do think they need to teach how to set up a basic business, how to do your pay your bills, understand what a mortgage because is, because more and more people are self-employed or you know run yeah. small businesses and things. Yeah. So yeah, definitely good and skills. Again, like, like I like I said, all you know, photographers that learn bad practices from watching YouTube videos, I'm kind of guilty of that with running a business a little yeah. bit. You know, I've kind of learned some bad mistakes over the years and probably bad habits. And, you know, gradually they're being ironed out. And you, you're By the time you retire, a little bit slicker. you'll be all right. Well, it's getting you know, <laughs> close to that and starting now, aren't it? That's the thing. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, what's the best thing you've had to eat recently? Either a single ingredient, meal somewhere. Do you, do you know what? The best thing we've had to eat recently, and we've, it's absolutely amazing, was one of these Dishoom home kits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very lovely. Yeah. Yeah, we were bought one as a present and it turned up and it's this is the biryani jackfruit one. And it came with a tea towel, it came with mango lassi, it came with all the ingredients. A little bit hard on the instructions to sort of learn how to work out how to cook it, but it was incredible. And we just sat there, couldn't believe it. So much so we've done it again, we bought one ourselves again. We did a barbecue um, one when, when we went away last summer. I ordered the barbecue one down to rye for us and... And there were four of us. It was like when my nephew was there and it was really good fun to do. And loads of stuff. I mean, generous proportions and things, do you know? And it just yeah. it is a bit different, isn't it? And, and I mean, although it's not necessarily super fast, it's an awful lot faster than it would be if you had to do it all from scratch. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, the measure, the way it's measured out, the way it's packaged, yeah, everything. I just think this clever. whole experience is fantastic. And the food tasted I mean, it did taste like the restaurant. Good. It's just, it was quite incredible. But I mean, that that's one of my favourite things. And when we were working the other day, the other day in this five star hotel, I had a club sandwich. That's another one of my mm-hmm. secret favourite 
last thing I ate really because I always judge a good hotel by how good their club sandwich is. A good club like, sandwich. It's like house yeah, wine, yeah. isn't it? It's got to be yeah, good because everybody's going to have it. Yeah. Definitely. And five-star hotel club sandwiches are kind of the best, I think. They're fantastic. Yeah. Were there crisps on it? Chips. Chips. Ah. Because I was going to say, were there crisps? Were they homemade? But chips, even better. No, they're good french fries. Yeah. What would you tell anyone starting a business should be the first thing that they prioritise? like I said earlier, it's business, it's learning business. It's almost put your Get product your and your imagination aside and just spend a few months concentrating on how your business is going to mm-hmm. run. And also I think, and again, we were guilty of this, is not really fun. You know, you're, you get very wrapped up in what you're selling or what you're mm-hmm. doing now, but think about the end goal. Yep. Um, I think a couple of times in our career, we've taken our eye off the end, goal, end game too much and we've kind of gone a little bit in all different directions. Yeah. And I also think now we're in an era, and I don't know if you agree, of niching yourself. I was always taught when I was yep. younger that, you know, as a photographer, oh, be a jack of all trades, you know, because you need to be adaptable. And I think nowadays, and I can only talk from photography, but I'm yep. guessing it's similar with a lot of industries, is that if you niche yourself, A, you can market yourself really well because you're not easier, marketing isn't it? hundreds you're of different things. You're not trying to say everything to everybody. Exactly. You're doing it really well. You're doing one thing really well. And then, you know, other things, I mean, like you see on Dragon's Den, they go with one idea and the dragons always want to know, are there other things in the pipeline? I think you've always got to leave your clients. There are other things we can do and there are other things yeah. that might be in the pipeline, but concentrate on one thing really well. I think that's, um, I think that is a good, good same piece of advice. Yeah. Do you read business or personal development books? Or you've mentioned that you've been reading, you'd read the David Attenborough book. Do you love books that take you away from work or... I tend to look at, re- listen to a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, running business, social media is something I'm, I'm at that age group where I'm not still not hundred percent comfortable how it all works. So I tend to a lot of development, marketing strategies, social yep. media, I tend to look at those. I usually fall asleep listening to them, but, uh, but I glean little bits of information out of them that I then go back and do a bit of research or maybe try them myself. So who have you subscribed um, to? Who would be, whose podcasters are regular that you never miss? There's one chap, I, I've actually signed up to his website. Mm-hmm. There's a guy called um, Neil Patel, I think he is. He runs a company called Uber Suggest. Nothing to do with Uber, no. Uber Delivery, Uber, Uber Suggest. He does all, it's breaking down your, uh, how your rankings work, how your page ranks, everything, how your social media works in conjunction with it. I've read quite a few things online with he's done. That's what got hooked me into subscribing. Got you onto his, him. Good. Yeah, his website. And it's 30-odd pounds a month to sign up to for him Gosh. to do whole breakdowns of your website. But you can also look at your competitors' websites and see how, what they're, how their keywords work. Yeah. It takes a little bit of a headspace to get into to understand how it works. But he explains that all to you, which I thought was really good. Brilliant. He's not just buying the information at you. He does actually explain how to do it. So he's really good. Um Abby and I are both sort of liking at the moment. We've been watching podcasts on Mel Robbins. Yep. Um, this American yes, um, speaker. She's incredibly. Yeah, she I mean, I wish me, I had those speaking skills. I wish I had that woman's speaking skills because she's fantastic. Yes. Um, and she just has this sort of she's way inspiring, about. Inspiring, isn't she? But it's inspiring, not. Inspiring. And she's. It's real life. She started at which the bottom. Which is what's nice. Yeah. yeah. She started at the bottom and, you know, she's worked and she's had alcoholism. She said she was a dreadful parent, but she's sort of shot, you know, pushed herself and her personal development. I mean, as Abby's been watching them. I kind of listen to them as she's doing it. And I think this is actually a very well-rounded, very good person, yeah. to, good role model. Yeah. No, um, that's so good. And, 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 and I tend to read a lot of blogs by sort of various people, business entrepreneurs, 
and one thing I've realised from a lot of millionaires and things like the dragons and people yep. like, and, and people you know, that aren't so well known um, is how they've all kind of gone bankrupt. They've all started businesses. They've all yep. had problems. A lot of them have gone bankrupt, but and then they've started from it. up again and learnt from it. Yep. And I think you know they, it's it's their risks they've taken i haven't quite got that risk attitude but that some of these people are quite inspiring yeah and i think i think too in in a way as we start again now coming out of lockdown and we're all kind of on the upward curve again hopefully i think there's another good opportunity for a bit of a reboot and i think you see a lot of people you know a lot of pastry chefs have stopped being pastry chefs because they enjoyed being at home with their families and they you know they realize there's more to life i think there was a kind of two year pause for a lot of people in different things. And I think it's a great opportunity to try to take advantage of that, to ignore that and just try and get straight back to where you were would be a mistake, wouldn't it? So I think we're all getting our kind of go bust and start again moment. Not obviously as badly as that, but we're all getting that kind of reboot chance to redefine how you do things and, yeah, and it's 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 just gain, gaining all the experience you can. I mean, that's that. It's it's just it, it's the time where there is so much information out there, and we just need to gain experience and the right kind of experience. Yeah. And there are a lot of really good. No matter what you're listening to, there's, there's so many people are at the top of their tree. We sign up to this thing called Creative Live. I don't know if you've kind of heard of yeah. that. It's run by Chase Jarvis, who was a photographer, set up this collection. He's basically done a hub of everything creative. And when I say creative, it's creative writing, it's creative running a business. Yeah. Um, and you sign up to that and it's the most in, it's all american yeah but again it's, but it's very the fundamentals are still too. there and, and and one thing i do like Amer- americans they do have that sort of go get them attitude yeah. which does keep you awake and it keeps yeah. you hooked in whereas in some of the other things you seem to drift off because they, they you can hear you almost hear them losing interest whereas yes. americans seem to have a gift of not doing that no i think that's um, true so that's, so that's that we do that a lot as well good golly i don't know how you find time for it all but it's great early, i get up early in the morning i know i know I you up, do you're the only my, other person i my, know that gets up as early as yeah, i do <laughs> no i i get i i still get my six hours sleep mm-hmm. but i go to bed and i wake up at four o'clock one one thing again i've always done in my life running a business is i don't tend to get down because i go to bed thinking what am i going to do when i get up in the morning what am i going to learn and i use that sort of hour and a half in the morning before i do any work even if driving into london i'll get up that bit earlier I sit there with a cup of tea and, and I, I'd learn something. And, and mm-hmm. whether it be learning about new camera equipment that's coming out or whether this, who's done this, but just looking. And, I, and, I, and, and it's just using that time for research and development, seeing what competitors are doing. Because yeah. I don't get that. But at the end of the day, I'm too tired to do any of that. Yeah, no, thing, I read, I read highly... first thing. I have that lovely yeah. chair in my lounge downstairs and I sit yeah. down there first thing in the morning and read for half an hour because depending on what you're reading or what you're looking into... I need to be able to do that when I'm awake, not at the other end yeah. of the day. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. If you could take three foods or three pieces of equipment with you to a desert island, what do you think you would take? What would I take? Three foods. Does, does it, can it be never-ending foods? Does Grow your own. I, yeah. Well, obviously, you'd say something like a desalination plant. Yes. Like it, so you yes. could drink. Yes. But... Oh gosh! You'd be surprised uh, right, the number so, of people that say they want to take salt with them, and I'm like, "Hello, <laughs> you're no, surrounded no. by it." I think it would be a fondue set. Oh, wonderful with, with with cheese and bread. Obviously, not just yeah. the set; it'd have to be the whole the, the whole, whole thing. thing. But I do love a fondue. Yep. An endless supply of Tunnock's tea cakes. I do love a Tunnock's tea cake. Well. 
Um, they were and, a childhood thing from my. Oh yes, I do love it. And croissants, croissants. I love a croissant. You can't beat a croissant. And they're so adaptable. Yep. Because you could dip them in the fondue, or you, or I haven't tried this, but you could put cut the ton of tea cakes out and put them in the croissant. Oh, I think you probably could. <laughs> yeah. Um, See, so yeah, I think those would be my, all very sweet. You can see, tell I've got a sweet tooth, and I would be this. I'd have to have some kind of exercise Sugar. equipment, wouldn't I? Because, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to learn how to swim. Well, I can't swim, but I'd have to swim far every day. I think. Yeah, uh, to go round and round the island. Yeah, yeah, to wear all that off. But, and, and I think it would be a pretty equipment-wise. It'd be a barbecue camera, definitely a camera. I'd have to have a camera. Yep. I think I think you've gone well over your three. Supply. I'm afraid. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> You're it's arriving on a ship, life, isn't aren't you? <laughs> but you've see, you seen my studio. You know what I'm thinking. How my mind works. It's just like, yeah. I don't, it would always be a little bit tucked in down the side. It would always be a bit more. Yeah. yeah if you said to me a more. bag, it would be a very bulging bag. Yeah. Oh, bless. Well, that's been fantastic. Thank you very, very much. That was good fun that's to right. chat through all Thank of that you. with Thanks, you. Thanks, Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.